0: Let us turn our hearts to God in prayer. Our Father, in the name of Jesus, we we come, we thank you, because you are good to us. We thank you because you are our home. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that he has come and lived perfectly and died sacrificially and was buried solemnly, and was raised powerfully, and has been enthroned sovereignly, and intercedes sympathetically, and will come again powerfully. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust you and trust your word. Please help me. You know I'm weak and wicked, and unworthy. But Lord, you are the God of all grace. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you'd make your appeal to us today. Make us sensitive and submissive to the leading of your spirit and change us, make us more like Jesus than we have ever been before. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Uh, We have been in a series on victorious living leading up to the resurrection of Jesus and what it means to uh, walk in victory as we trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, And we have been looking at Jesus' journey to Calvary... And uh, this morning, I want us to look at the subject of shelter through Christ's cross. Uh, By the grace of God, we have received shelter through the cross of Jesus Christ. And and because of that, he calls us to uh, give shelter as well uh, to others. And... um, so let us look if you would turn with me to the gospel according to John. The gospel of John. And I will start reading in chapter 19 at verse 16. John 19:16. So he, that is Pilate, uh, delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write, the king of the Jews, but rather, this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. I want to stop there for a moment and talk about uh, Jesus being rejected in order to reconcile us. Jesus was rejected in order to reconcile us. As you read the Gospel according to John, you realize that Jesus came uh, because of our sin. He came to deal with our sin. And um, He came, as it says in chapter 18, He spoke to Potted and said He came to testify about the truth. And uh, the truth is that we need to be born again. That's what His message was. Uh, when he preached, is that sin had so radically deformed us that we needed to be reborn. We needed to be transformed and changed completely, newly created. And uh, this testimony of Jesus Christ was not received. People don't want to hear about their sin. They don't want to hear about their brokenness. And and particularly for the nation of Israel, when they're under the oppression of Rome, and then Jesus shows up and points the finger at their sin, uh, it's offensive. What about Rome's sin? Look what they've done to us. Uh, But judgment begins first with the household of faith. And uh, Jesus came to deal with His people's sin. And uh, they were offended at Him. They didn't like that. Uh, Jesus, therefore, was rejected because He came to testify about our sin. He wasn't here to um, rescue our egos. Our desire, as John says in chapter 5, we long for the praises of people. We like to receive glory from other people. We like compliments. We like praises. And Jesus wasn't here to give us flattery. And He wasn't here to, uh, to bow down to our appetites. You remember in chapter 6, how Jesus fed thousands of people with some kid's lunch. And then the next day, they can't find Jesus and they run to find Him. And then when they meet Him, Jesus says, you are coming after Me not because you saw signs. It's not like you saw a sign and believed in Me and want to submit to Me. You came because your belly got full. And uh, he, He rebuked them for that. You know, people often say, ask the question, we often ask the question, what are we passionate about? Well, I'm passionate about a lot of things that I have no business being passionate about. That's not the question to ask. The question is, what is God passionate about? And how can I forego my passions to engage in His passions? That's the, the attitude and the posture that we should have with respect to our desires and our appetites. Jesus did not come to satisfy our appetites. And that's what they wanted from Him. They wanted to make Him king so He could use His power and authority to fill up their appetites. And Jesus wasn't going to have it. And uh, He wouldn't have it because if we die in our sin, in our passions, we die without Him. And the... The leaders did not see things the way Jesus saw things. Notice what the leaders said of Jesus after He raised Lazarus from the dead. They said if He keeps going on like this, everybody will believe in Him. What's wrong with that? (laughs) That's a good thing. But then they said Rome will come and we'll lose our positions and we'll lose our place. That's what was wrong with the leaders. They were jealous of losing their positions, their authority, their autonomy. They were bothered because they would lose their their shelter, their temple. They didn't know that Jesus was bringing in an even greater shelter for them. And so in chapter 19, when, when Pilate, having Jesus flogged, brings him out, and he's draped in purple, And he's beat up and he's bleeding. And he's got a crown of thorns on his head. The chief priests cry out, crucify him. Get rid of him. Three times they cry out, crucify him. They say, away with him. We don't want him. We want Caesar. How soon we forget who's oppressing us. Because Jesus wants to deal with our sins. He wants to get in our face gently in love and say, what's wrong with your heart? You know, the book of Proverbs says that uh, the Father and God is speaking to the Son and He says, Son, give me your heart. That's what God wants. He wants our heart. He wants us to deal with our sin, our rebellion, our iniquity, our perversions. That's what Jesus came to do. But Israel as a whole, and and we often don't want to go there. We don't want to go down that road because it's ugly. And it's a rough road. It's convicting. It's humiliating. It's embarrassing. We don't want it. But Jesus wants it because Jesus wants us. Jesus wants you. But Jesus can't have you unless he has your sin. And He can't have your sin until you and I own up to our sin and say, here it is. I'm an open book. Deal with my sin. Deal with my rebellion. Deal with my perversions. And Jesus can can shelter us. And Rome was no better. You look at Pilate here. The epitaph he gives Jesus is the infamy of Nazareth. This is Jesus of Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, apparently not. Look at him. He's among criminals, crucified with insurrectionists and murderers and robbers. He's among them. And that's, 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 that's Pilate's way of, of sarcastically sticking it to the Jewish nation. This is Jesus. He's of Nazareth, and he's your king, O Jewish nation. And that's why some people try to save face and say, don't say He's the King of the Jews. Say He said He was the King of the Jews. And Pilate said, no, it stays written the way I wrote it. And in the midst of of this this rejection that Jesus is receiving, in the midst of this, uh, this humiliation, this shame that is being thrown upon Him, you see that Jesus, it says of Him, that he went out bearing his own cross. In the midst of all the rejection, in the midst of all of the foul mouths and the ignorant insults and the, the infamy, he's bearing his own cross. You notice that's, that John never talks about Simon of Cyrene helping him. Because the emphasis of John is, is to expose the fact that Jesus bore the shame and the rejection. And um, The the insults in the midst of this. And he did it to reconcile us, to bring us back to God. The righteous one was helping the unrighteous ones. What was this cross about? He was bearing his own cross. And his cross was a cross for sin, it was for rebellion, it was for rebels and perverts. But if we don't want to go there and say, that's who I am, I am perverted. I am rebellious. I am lawless. If we can't own that, then Jesus' cross means nothing to us. It can't speak to us. It can't shelter us. It can't help us. But Jesus went out bearing His own cross because He came to deal with our our sin and our, our rebellion. But they failed. They failed to see it. Our sin was the desire uh, to be God. It was desire to, to be our own God. And that's what these people are doing. Pilate and the Jews and everyone here, they're, they're pretending that they're in charge. They're pretending in the court of man that they can condemn the Son of Man. But Jesus is bearing His own cross so that uh, you and I, one day when we enter the court of heaven, won't be rejected, won't be cast away, but will be brought in and received. And um, we too, as followers of Jesus Christ, we first have to see ourselves in that crowd saying, get rid of this man. We don't want anything to do with him. But having come to him and having uh, confessed our sin and now belonging to him, you too have a cross to bear. We too have crosses to bear. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, he must deny himself and daily take up a cross and follow me. That we have to daily die to sin and call other people to die to sin. That's what Jesus was doing. He was exposing our sin. You know, a life of self-denial, a life of daily cross-bearing, a life of following Jesus for real uh, rarely goes unnoticed. People will begin to malign you and become, as, as Peter says, they'll be surprised when you do not join them in unrestrained and unrestricted sexual license. You know, the world we live in is is sex crazy. There's nothing wrong with sex. God created sex, but we've taken it down levels it was never intended to go. Anything goes in the world today. Everybody has to bow to those, those sacred words, it was consensual. And then there's, there's these issues of, of, of injustice, and there's also the issue of, of abortion, because people have passions different from God. You know, most people get abortions in the world, in, in America at least, because a baby is simply inconvenient. I can't afford it, it that's the way it's put, I can't afford it, it's inconvenient. I'm not mature enough to raise a child. Who is mature enough to raise a child? Every parent discovers that the first time you get a child. But most people get rid of children simply because it's an inconvenience. Very, very few people get rid of children, abort children, because of a medical emergency. And that's the world we live in. It's a world that's full of dissipation. It's full of debauchery. It's full of drunkenness, as Peter says, and sexual license and pornography. It's flooded with covetousness, partying and lawless idolatry. And and when you deny yourself and daily take up a cross and follow Jesus, it's an affront to a world that's swimming in sin. And when you take it upon yourself to seek to be a minister of reconciliation, which every believer is called to, by the way, and to call people back to Christ, and to call people to deal with their sin, you're going to get maligned. That's what Peter says. You're going to get insulted. And sometimes we just don't go there with people because we don't want rejection. We don't want to be unpopular. We don't want to be insulted. We don't want to be ostracized. We don't want a cold shoulder from folk. So we just don't talk about the elephant of sin in people's lives. We just accept it. We're supposed to accept people. Yes, we're supposed to accept people. We're all supposed to be people's friends. And if you saw your friend walking towards a cliff, you wouldn't be silent about it. If you saw someone drowning, you wouldn't look the other way if it was your friend. And if you were proving to be a neighbor, to love your neighbor who's anybody in need the same way you love yourself. If we, if we had that mindset of Christ of counting others more significant and looking at others' situations and saying they're in a bad way, they're, they're traveling wrong, But we we quickly say, oh, I have no right to say anything. Why not? It's not like you're coming to condemn and throw the books at them. But you're coming to say, hey, I I found bread. I see you're hungry. You're starving for something in your soul. And I I know where you can go to get fed. You've got a testimony. You've been on the other side of B.C. You've been before Christ. You know what it's like to have a life outside of Christ. You know what it's like to be broken by sin. You know what it's like to, to be overcome by guilt. And you see people running after all kinds of, of, of lifestyles that are trying to self-medicate themselves, trying to subdue their, their conscience, and, and you know there's a way out. And if, if you see something, what do they say? Say something. If you see someone traveling wrong, say a prayer. Come up beside them in love and say, can I talk with you? Can I walk with you? I've got a story to tell you about how how I got over through Jesus Christ. You remember that Samaritan woman? She came to the city and said, come meet a man. Told me everything I've ever done. She, She dealt with a sin. And they came running because they wanted to meet this man who made this woman who's always trying to isolate herself come out in the public telling a story. And when they came, They said to the woman, we believe now not because of what you said. We heard it ourselves, And we believe. So we are ministers of reconciliation. And we live in a world that's swimming in sin. And it's going down. And and how are they going to hear without somebody preaching to them? How are they going to preach unless they sent what God said? Go into all the world, didn't he? He's already sent you. He's already commissioned you. Let the redeemed of the Lord say something about it. So you and I have to be people in the marketplace. Like it says in Proverbs 1, wisdom raises a voice in the marketplace, in the city streets. She's all over the place shouting about wisdom, shouting about Jesus, shouting about the Lord and how they can get saved. We've got to be that way wherever we are. We've got to use every opportunity to call people to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ the type of people we have to be. You know, people talk about abortion wrongs, I mean abortion rights, and um, a woman's wrong to choo- I mean a right to choose. Um, you know, what about, I always say to people, and I know you've heard it before, and you've said it to other people yourself, but, but there's a woman inside of you, right? Doesn't she have a right? There's a little boy inside of you, doesn't he have a right? And so now you become the oppressor, and you're going to get rid of the package. That's injustice, too. And we know that. We've got to speak about it. The Bible says we are called to take every thought captive to obey Jesus Christ. There has to be a willingness in our heart to be able to suffer for the sake of the gospel, to be able to suffer for the sake of Jesus, to be able to be rejected. Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, He says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, ready to suffer, rejection, insults, abuse, whatever it takes for lost people to know about Jesus. It'll be all right. We'll all be dead in 200 years anyway. In heaven, screaming and yelling, carrying on, walking with Jesus, you got to keep it in your mind if you want to be able to pass the time the way you ought to. Look back at John 19, verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill what the scripture says. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. You know, one of the final humiliations in, 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 in a crucifixion was, was taking people's clothes. Today we, we have a pastime when, 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 the, when the deceased uh, are laid to rest, their belongings are handed back to either the parents. You think of the military, how they often get those packages of, of, of the belongings of the deceased. And even at the, the funeral, a flag is given to either the mother or the spouse or you know, some form of honoring and respect. But, but the Romans, when they put you down, they, they really intended to humiliate you big time. They took your clothes off. They stripped you naked and then hung you on a cross and they gambled for your clothing. They cast lots for it right in front of your family and loved ones. It's a way of ridiculing you. You know, when Rome Rome came and got you, what they would do is they would strip you naked and they would parade you around the city to demonstrate how they defeated you and how they've triumphed over you. They make a public spectacle of you so that everybody else watching would say, don't mess with Rome or that's going to happen to you. So it was a way of putting fear and striking fear into people and terror into people. Don't play with us. We're not kidding. We'll put you down and expose you and hang you on a cross to make our name great and to put your name down. That's the way Rome did things. That's what they did to Jesus. How humiliating, how, how, from a Jewish mindset, how embarrassing he was. That was the Jewish mindset of the first century, is Jesus, you embarrass us. Remember David? David killed Goliath. Solomon and all these great kings, look at you, beat up, allowing them to humiliate you and shame you like this. And they didn't know that that wind that was going down, you know, you think back for a minute. When God, when God created us, we were naked. We didn't have any clothes on. We didn't even know we were naked. Remember after we sinned, God said to Adam, who told you you were naked? He didn't know he was naked because he was so God-centered. He wasn't blind. It's not because they didn't have no mirrors in, in, in the Garden of Eden. You know, I mean, he was so God-centered and focused on the beauty and goodness of God, he wasn't focused on himself. That's the thing. But then when, when we fell into sin, we hid ourselves. We covered ourselves. And here's Jesus bearing our sin on the cross, naked, exposed. He's bringing in the new creation. And he's naked. And he's being put to shame. He's being humiliated. But he's not ashamed of the gospel. He hung on that cross. And his, head was, his face was set like flint. To go to the cross because he knew he was making everything brand new and so the shame of the cross he despised it he said when I consider what what's going to happen after this cross or what's going to happen through this cross and the shelter it's going to bring to to multitudes of people this this shame this humiliation it's nothing it's a little thing it's not even to be talked about it's not even to be mentioned because what's going to come after this it's so profound and so majestic and so splendid. It's a whole new world. It's a whole new creation. And so he dealt with the ridicule in order to redeem us. Because what was really going down when Jesus Christ, uh, it says in, in the book of Colossians, what was really happening was Jesus was not the one being humiliated. Jesus was not the one being made a public spectacle. The Bible says in the book of Colossians uh, chapter 2, it says in, in verse 13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He, that is Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, or in the cross. You know, one of the most amazing things I find about Jesus Christ is at his weakest point, at his weakest, he defeated the strongest foes out there. At his weakest. It's like he had one hand tied behind his back, and his legs were tied together. He was at his weakest point. And still defeated Satan. Still defeated the principalities and powers. Still overwhelmed death. Hell and the grave. At his weakest he did death. Imagine what he could do at his greatest and strongest. But in real ways, the cross is his strongest. Because it reflects the beauty of his character. It exposes who he really is. It exposes the very heart of God. The heartbeat of God. What makes God tick, so to speak. Because when Jesus was being crucified, he was stripping Satan of his power and his authority. He was taking all of Satan's cohorts, and he was disarming them. He was bringing them down. He was triumphing over them in the cross. It's like Jesus came in disguise. It's like guerrilla warfare. They didn't know what was going on. They couldn't see it till it was done. When Jesus Christ came and was ridiculed, he was disarming Satan from Satan's power to accuse you of sin. Satan comes accusing you, pointing a finger at you. The Bible says you have an advocate with the Father. You have a defense attorney. Jesus Christ stands up in the courtroom and tells Satan to silence himself and declares that you are a brand that's been plucked from the fire. Satan's accusations are overcome by by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of your testimony. Jesus stands up to declare that the debt against us has been canceled. The the debt has been canceled. It's been nailed to Jesus' cross. Jesus disarmed the power of Satan to take us captive to do his will. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, You have been given the power of the Spirit of God to live for God and no longer be held captive by Satan. The Bible says that sin shall not be your master. There's a difference between swimming in sin and getting drops on you from time to time. When Jesus came and disarmed Satan, he disarmed him from the power to strike fear and terror in your heart because of your coming death and because of punishment for your sin. Perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And when Jesus was crucified, he took the punishment. He took the sting of death. He took the fear of death. I can't wait to drop dead. I'd like to wait a little while. But because you know what's coming, The arms of Jesus, open wide. Welcome home. What could be better? Paul was always going around saying, I'd rather go and be with the Lord. That should be our attitude. In love with his appearing, I'd rather be with him. But while I'm here, there's work to be done. Right? That should be our attitude. Satan and all the hosts have been bound. They've been defeated. And they're brought to open shame. Every time somebody comes to faith in Jesus, Satan is hung out to dry. He's brought to open shame. Every time a believer turns away from sin, Satan is put to open shame. Because your life for Christ is a big neon sign to Satan that you are not worth it. You're not worthy of me. I've been bought with the blood of the Lamb of God. I've been purchased by the Most High. I am the property of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul goes around saying, I'm a prisoner of Christ. He was glorying in the fact. I'm a slave of Jesus. That's a high honor. Moses was a slave of Yahweh. That was a high honor. Spoken to someone who came, brought people out of bondage. It's a wonderful thing. Sometimes we feel like the greatest thing of all is just to be free and foot-loose. I can do whatever I want to do. I can do whatever I want to do. Imagine if you were a bird and you, want, you said, oh, I'd like to swim. So you just dive right in the ocean and start swimming. You'd die. Imagine if you were a fish and you looked up underneath the, the oh, I'd like to walk. And you get out on the sand. I want to do what I want to do. Birds got to fly, man. Fish got to swim. That's what God made him for. God made you to live for him. You're not free until you're living for Jesus. You think you're free, but you're not. You're deceived. You're only free when you're living for God. You're only free when you're doing what God created you to do, to be his image. And his image is Christ Jesus, to reflect that beauty and glory of his character. And let's let's finish this up. Uh, Verse 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus was his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Jesus was reverent to restore us. One of the commandments, the fifth commandment, is honor your father and your mother. This is what Jesus is doing. He's honoring his mother in his suffering. And in his trial, he's not thinking about himself. He is thinking about his, his loved ones, particularly his mother. And he's making sure that she is cared for. This, this, this passage says volumes to us about caring for our parents when they get old and they cannot do for themselves, when they're alone. It says a lot about caring. How do we care for our parents? You know, the Bible says that if we don't care for the members of our own household, we're worse than an unbeliever. We've denied the faith. You don't care for your own household. And um, children are supposed to take care of their folks. I I listened to one woman one time. That's what she said. (laughs) She said, that's why I had kids, so they could take care of me when I died. <laughs> that was bad, but I mean, you know, she had somewhat of a point. But she looked—I think she's looking at it a little bit wrong way. Um, she's taking advantage of the situation, you know. But, um, but the point is that Jesus here was caring for, and not only caring for, but putting people in homes. He 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 enlists John to take care of his mother and treat her as if she were his mother. And in many ways, that's what the church is called to do. It's a a family environment. It's called to treat folk like family, to give people a home, to care for them when there are legitimate needs, to care for one another, to love one another. The world we live in is very broken. It's very broken, and, and, and people are devastated by the injustices that have taken place in this world. This is an injustice that's being taken place with Jesus. He's being put to death for crimes he never committed. Now, we know that God's purposes behind the scenes was of another texture. But at the same time, if you look at just what these human beings did, what they did was wicked. What they did was lawless, and it was unjust, and it left Mary without a human refuge on earth. Her son, her oldest son, she had other children, but he's the one responsible, he's the oldest. And in that culture, that's who took care of the parents was the oldest, and so he sees to it that she's taken care of. And 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 John is the one who he calls into, uh, uh, enlists to service in that to serve his mother in that way. I mean, how about if Jesus called you to care for someone that you weren't expecting necessarily to care for? Would you be willing to do it? Would you be willing to give shelter to to give to give restoration? To someone else. That's, that's the calling of the believer, is minister of reconciliation to restore people to God and to, and to bring in, to be used by God, to bring in the shalom, the well-being that God brings to people. That when people come to the church, it's supposed to feel like and sound like and, and, and be like a family environment. The Bible even says in 1 Timothy 5, treat older men as fathers, treat older women as mothers, treat younger women with absolute purity as sisters and younger men as brothers. That Jesus builds a family, and that's what he started with in the Garden of Eden a family. And he wants the church to be a family where people can feel at home. I'm thankful we're here because we felt a lot like family when we came here. Y'all did us good so far. I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. I knew you could take a joke. Um, But you did, and so we got that sense, that feeling, and hopefully we've added to that and not taken away from it. And um, we're called to, 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 to minister to people in that way. You know, what's interesting about John is that John eventually probably lost his family because he was taken into exile at Patmos. And whether Mary was alive at that point, we don't know, but we know that what John, when he went into exile, we know that what he saw was a new heaven and a new earth. Where righteousness dwells and that's what the church is being used to do is to bring in family real family what it means to care for one another no matter where people come from no matter what they've been through but when there's a legitimate need saying i will be there to help i will be there to share and so that's what we're called to in sheltering that's how the cross teaches us how to shelter other people let us let's turn our hearts to god in prayer as we prepare to sup with Christ. Our Father, in Christ's name, we we thank you for the shelter that we have through the cross of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that that, um, Jesus, in spite of being rejected, was determined to bring in that shelter. God, give us grace to be ministers of reconciliation, like he was, and to reflect that, that, that shepherd's heart that goes after the lost. Father Jesus, we praise you because he was ridiculed so badly and so embarrassingly from a Jewish standpoint, and yet it really wasn't the whole story that he really was bringing to shame Satan and all of his powers in order that we would be able to be forgiven and received by you. And Father, we're thankful for the, for the great uh, portrait of Christ Jesus, who other than him can do this, and we can't. We can't be like him unless he's in us, enabling us to reflect his love. Father, help our church to continue to be more and more a family environment where people feel at home, they feel welcome, they feel cared for, not looked looked past or or overlooked. Father, work that in our hearts. Help us to see how we were not overlooked by you. We were in a far-off land. Separated from you, far away from you, and yet you came after us to care for us, to bring us in, to shelter us, and call us family. Father, work that in our heart by your spirit, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.